Thanks, Brian. Well, great to be with you. Uh, Brian said wife, so it's Chad and Chanda Childress, and we have four children, and, uh, and we all name them C's. Anybody else ever make that mistake? I mean, not like a bunch of kids, but naming your kids all the same letter. Anybody else do that? No, yeah, there's a couple of us. Just, yeah, it was madness. Um, so, uh, man, uh, it is great to be here, and it's great to have Brian as a pastor. Um, I hope, uh, yes, I think we can say woohoo and get all excited about that. Um, I tell you what, uh, just his leadership, his passion, his vision for this community. Um, just how he shepherds and leads us. I hope that you're praying for him. I hope that you are encouraging him um, and celebrating him and his family. So uh, just thanks, Brian, for just leading well, man, and I and, uh, really appreciate it. So uh, this morning, I'm going to talk about a word, uh, delight. <clears throat> and when you think about that, I just want you to kind of put in your mind some of the things that you may take delight in. All right, so let's just, let's just kind of take a second. What do you take delight in? I'm just going to name some things, and you just kind of, in your mind, you may populate in your mind some things that you take delight in. So here we go. Uh, some of you take delight in sunsets. Some of you, you're a sunrise kind of individual. Lazy, rainy afternoons. The lap of waves hitting a beach. Maybe a summit view. A warm fire. A donut. Donut, anybody? You're with me? Come on. Donut people, unite. Okay. Um, a great album or a great book, uh, an act of kindness, a finished project, time alone, a party, a donut. All right. Um, you know, we can find delight in a lot of different ways, a lot of different things that we can find delight in. But when you think about the word, you, how do you summarize that word? How do you even define it? And I know kind of how we can look at it, we find some satisfaction and we find, but then ultimately you kind of go back to, you define it with delight. And so there's uh, an old pastor, and I'm going to quote several old pastors because I like old pastors because I think, one, they said it first and they said it probably better. So I'm just going to quote them on several things. But he says this about delight. Listen to this. He says, delight is a delightful word. I cannot use anything but its own self to describe it. If you look at it, it's flashing with light. Did you get it? Okay, it's fun. Just, uh, it sparkles like a star, like a bright constellation, radiant with sweet influences like the Pleiades. It is joy, yet it is more. It is joy running over. It is rest, but such a rest as allows the utmost activity of every passion of the soul. Delight, it is mirth without its froth. I have no idea what that means, but it's pretty cool him saying it. It's an old English guy. Delight, it is peace, yet it is more than that. It is peace celebrated with festivity with all the streamers hanging in the streets and all the music playing in the soul. Delight, whereunto shall I compare it? It is a stray word that belongs to the language of paradise. It's about Charles Spurgeon. Him trying to even define the word delight. And so when we think about that word, we look at it in Scripture, and we know some places potentially where it is in Scripture and how Scripture defines it. Well, Scripture defines it as this. It's something that you incline yourself toward or you bend towards, something you do find satisfaction or pleasure in. And so when we think of that word and we look at it in Scripture, we find a place in Scripture that we most commonly, by popular opinion, go to. 
And we're going to look at that this morning. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them or turn them on to Psalm chapter 37. And we're going to look at Psalm chapter 37. It's going to be on the screen. If you don't have a Bible, if you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles out in the, hall, uh, the lobby that you can get one for free. So please take us up on that. Just a little bit of context as you're taking uh, an opening to Psalm. Uh, David is just a little bit older. This is a wisdom Psalm. But as David is a little bit older, there's a lot that's gone through and, and into his life. And, and some of the things that he's coming out of, he's, he's populating in the Psalms. And he's, he's looking at it and he's saying, hey, I'm going to share some wisdom. So this psalm, in spe- specifically, there's, there, it's dealing with justice. There's an agitation here. It kind of feels like a middle child that's complaining and trying to get attention a little bit. But at the same time, it's full with hope. And so as David's writing this, he's wanting us to make sure that we understand where he's coming from. And so it says this, don't be agitated by evildoers. Don't envy those who do wrong. For they will wither quickly like grass and will wilt like tender green plants. Trust in the Lord and do what is good. Dwell in the land and live securely. And then he gets to verse 4, and this is the popular verse. It's probably on more coffee mugs than Philippians 4.13. You know, it's that kind of verse, but it's taken wrong many times. And he says this, Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desires. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act, making your righteousness shine like the dawn and your justice like the noonday. And so what David is doing here, he's like, hey, I want you to just turn your attention from over here. All right, so over here you've got this, I know there's evildoers, I know that they're doing wrong, and you can be mad at them, you can get agitated with them, you can even envy them, but I want to direct your attention, and he says, just, just don't worry about that, don't fret about it, just leave it alone, draw your attention and bring your focus to this. And this is where I want you to draw your focus. It comes down to delight in the Lord. And he's encouraging them and challenging them. And he's looking at it and he's saying, hey, this is a directive, but there's a promise associated with it. If you will delight yourself in God, then guess what? God will give you your heart's desires. And we take that and we run with that a little bit too far many times. But God has this directive, but he also has this promise associated with it. And we look at that and what, what David has done is drawn our attention to it. And I believe what God does is draw our attention to it. He says, I want you to delight. And so for us this morning, what I want to do is I want us to look at some evidences of a disciple, of us as followers of Jesus. What does it look like for us as we just encounter life and go through life to really delight in God? So what are those evidences? And I want to give us some evidences, but also want to give us some warnings as well. All right, so um, we're going to look at number one evidence or a mark of what it looks like for us as a disciple who takes delight in God. All right, so the number one thing is there's disgust. All right, so you wouldn't start there, but there has to be this disgust. So we're going to look at it. We as disciples find disgust with our sin. That's what we do. These are common traits as, as disciples of Jesus. If we're going to find delight in God, then we are also going to find disgust with our sin. Now, I'm sure that most of you are not like me, but there's things that I do that I know that God doesn't delight in. Right? I mean, I'm, I'm sure you're not like me. Like, I'll eat the whole box of donuts. Anybody else like a whole box of donuts? We'll talk later. There's a group for us, all right? So I, there's, there's those kind of things that I know. And, and usually when I eat a whole box of donuts, guess what comes with that? Disgust, right? You're like, oh, my goodness. I can't believe I ate the whole box of donuts. 
you enjoyed it for a little bit, but now you're miserable. You just, and guess what happens with that? The twins come along, and those twins of guilt and shame. You're guilty, you know, oh my goodness, I just can't. I, look at myself. I feel like a donut. You know, I mean, you're, all of a sudden, you're just, you're, all of those things come together. And I don't mean make light of sin, and that's not what the intent is. But ultimately, when you think about um, when, when guilt and shame and disgust come along, there's something to deal with there. And it's not just true when I eat too many donuts. It's true when um, I, I in, end up in a place where I have impure thoughts, when I just fail miserably. When I get to a place and, and all of a sudden I'm, I know that I'm bending the truth to make myself look better or I'm, I'm doing something that I just know that doesn't honor God and I'm not loving my family or my friends well. I mean, you think about all of those things. It's true when I know that I'm not becoming and, and looking like what God intended and created me to be. And that's when that disgust comes about. And unless I have disgust, though, with my own sin... Unless that disgust there, I will never find the delight that God intended in, in the one who really freed me from that guilt and that shame. I'll never find that delight. An individual, this is another old pastor, he says, an individual who delights himself in the Lord will postpone everything that comes in competition with communion with God. Think about this. Think about Zacchaeus. Y'all know who Zacchaeus, right? Zacchaeus was a... Y'all went to vacation Bible school. Look at you. You know who he was. So you think about Zacchaeus, though. Zacchaeus, this wee little man, he had some type of disgust in his life. So what did he do? He did everything possible for him to be able to see God. Climb the tree. Here's Jesus. Jesus crossed the spot. Here he sees Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, we're going to go to your house. Zacchaeus is like, yes, I'm, I want to talk to you. Let's go have dinner. He was disgusted. He had everything but at the same time, there was this great disgust with who he was. So he met with Jesus. He talked with Jesus. Jesus called him out. Jesus said, hey, I want you to do all of these things. And Zacchaeus was like, I'm disgusted enough with myself to do that. Yes, I'm going to do that. You, you, you move on and you think about even David's life. And David, who, who was a man after God's own heart and, and ended up in this sin with Bathsheba and all the consequences that came along with it. And all of a sudden, Nathan comes to him and says, hey, this sin is in your life. And David recognizes and says, oh my goodness, I confess and, and I repent. And all of a sudden, what happens with David? You get to Psalm 51 and David pins this restoration psalm of David seeing his own sin and wanting a clean heart. So he had this disgust with his sin. If you look back into this psalm, you see in this psalm, well, there's this disgust with everybody else's sin, and it's easy for us to get disgusted with other people's sin, yet we don't get disgusted with our own sin many times. And so we're pointed back to look at how do we look at disgust in our own sin. Well, let me give you a warning here. What happens when disgust dies? Well, when disgust dies, it leads to duplicity. What's duplicity? Well, duplicity is you living a double life. We all do that from time to time, you and me both. There's, there's sin in my life, and I don't want it to be known. I don't want it to be known by others. And all of a sudden, guess what I try to do? I try to put on this thing. I've got it all together. It's all good. And there's this life of duplicity. It's kind of like the tree that you pass by, and you look at that tree, and you say, man, that is a healthy, monster tree. That thing is strong. There is nothing going to get in the way of it. It's been around for 100 years. It's going to be around for another 100 years. And you look at that tree, and it's so healthy and strong. And then one day you drive by it, and that tree has fallen. 
And you drive by and you look at the tree and you see in that tree and you see the rot and decay that's in the tree. And guess what? You go, I had no idea. Well, that's what a duplicitous life is. Is that after time, if we don't have disgust with our own sin and we are not just trying to mortify that and kill that sin, guess what happens? It begins to rot and decay us from the inside. We may look great on the outside and healthy and growing and strong, but on the inside, we're dying. And so as we delight in God, we have to grow in our disgust of our own sins. How do we do that? How do we get to a place where we look at our own, our own selves and the sin in our lives and say, all right, I'm so fed up with that. What do I need to do? It goes to these other two evidences or marks of what it looks like as a disciple. Number two is dependence. Dependence. We as disciples understand that there is hope in God alone. In God alone. As, as, as you look here, David goes and he says, hey, let's not be agitated by this. And then he comes back and he says, I'm going to draw your attention. Trust in the Lord. Trust is ultimate dependence. What does dependence really look like? Dependence, sometimes it looks like desperation for us. It is the only lifeline that you're ever going to get. Have you ever got to that point in your life? You're like, I don't know where else to turn. I don't know what else to do. And we reach out and try to grab other things and, and pull in other people. And, and we're always reaching and grabbing. How can they save me? How can they help me? And ultimately, our dependence has to lie in God alone. This is the central turning point. In this scripture, it comes back to the fact that, hey, you can be agitated. You can be, have a disgust with your own sin. But guess what it comes down to? You have to depend on God. We have to define our dependence on him alone. And that desperation sometimes comes out. Think about David, and you go back to Psalm um, 42. David, who understood the weight of what it meant to rule a nation, he understood what it meant to run from somebody. He, Saul was chasing him. He understood all of these things, the complexities in his own life. And guess what it came down to? David, in his desperation, which some commentators would say, Psalm 42 is a psalm for the spiritually depressed. He says this, as a deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, God. There is a desperation in that. That desperation leads to this dependence. In Mark chapter 10, this blind man that was coming, it was in town, and as Jesus was going his way to Jericho, this blind man who just desperately wanted to see, that would be nice, and he heard about this gentleman who was a healer who could potentially help him see. And guess what this blind man did? He did everything in his power. He said, I don't care what people say. I'm going to press through the crowd. And I'm going to shout at this Jesus to have mercy on me to heal me. He was willing to do everything through his desperation to get to a point where he knew that there was one person that he could depend on. And ultimately, that's what God calls us to is this dependence and even in the context of the Psalms, when you look at the Psalms, which I love the Psalms, all of the wisdom, but there's poetry, there's songs that are a part of this, and most of them are. And when you look at the Psalms and you look at what David is writing, and most of them, you're, he's talking to Israel and he's saying, we've got things to celebrate. I just want to draw your attention back to that. I want to remind you of some things. And guess what? It goes back to Israel. There's songs that, and these poems that are pointing and shouting back to Israel saying, hey, guess what? You can depend on the Lord. You can. He has proved it. He's proved himself faithful to us. He has proved himself as a provider for us. Look back in history. God is providing. 
He is proving faithful. And David points them back to that. And ultimately, we, you and me, we have reason to be able to trust in God. We do. He is, he is faithful to us. In fact, in Second um, Peter, <clears throat> Scripture says that God provides everything, everything that we need for life and godliness. Everything that we need for life. I know that we sometimes separate those and we sometimes kind of parse those out and we look at it and we say, hey, I've got everything I need for godliness in Jesus, but not for life. And 2 Peter reminds us that we have everything through his power, through the power of Jesus for life and godliness. So we can depend. And the more that you depend on God, guess what happens? The more that you can delight in God. And so what happens in that, and go back to the verse, there's this desire of our heart that creeps in. And when we depend on God and we delight in God, the more the desire of your heart is only to delight in God. And those desires ultimately become his desires. So the things that we desire selfishly, the things that we look at and we would desire and say, oh, this is what I want. And if I can just delight in God and make God happy, then he's going to give me this Santa Claus kind of God that we have in our minds. is not what it is. The more that we delight, that we depend, that we, we have full desperation on him, guess what? Our desires, the desires of our heart line up with what God desires. When our delight is in the love of God, our desires will be in the will of God. When we delight ourselves in the Lord, we will want things that delight him, another pastor said. Well, David provided just another picture for us in Psalm chapter 1. And you go back to Psalm chapter 1, and David's writing about this man. And he says, how happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked, or stand in the pathway with sinners, or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, it's a good conjunction word there, instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction, and he meditates on it day and night. He's like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in season. And its leaf, think about the leaf, it does not wither, and whatever he does prospers. And so there's a depth there that, that, that David's pointing out to us that, the man who is depending fully is going to prosper. You go back to Psalm 37 and you, you commit your way to the Lord. You trust in the Lord and there's going to be a benefit in doing so. But there's a warning there. What happens when we fail to depend on God is this. When dependence dies, it leads to medi mediocrity. When dependence dies, it leads to mediocrity. And mediocrity is just this whole take it or leave it type of relationship with God. We all kind of fall into that many times. Just think about it. You and I fall into these things. We go, okay, God, you're, you're good now. This is what I need in this season. You're good for this reason. And, and all things are going well. So, God, I'm, I'm, we're good. This is a good relationship. Oh, but wait, no, th things aren't, out of, they're kind of out of whack. I don't know if I need you right now. Oh, but I need you really bad now. And so when our dependence dies, it leads to this mediocrity. It leads to this place where it's a take-it-or-leave-it relationship. And sometimes we even find ourselves delighting in the benefits of God instead of delighting in God himself. I mean, that's a dangerous place for us. It's like, oh, man, God's blessing me right now. These are good things, and I'm happy, and I'm, our family's good. And, and we, de we, we delight in, the God, in God's benefits instead of just delighting in God for who he is. 
So what is devotion, or what, what, what leads us to the third evidence is devotion. And so this third evidence of devotion is this. We as disciples devote ourselves to becoming more like Jesus. We, we want to become more like Jesus. That is God's will, is that you and I become more like Jesus in every day. So what does that look like? In devotion, in many cases, it looks like sacrifice. The apostle Paul, as Paul is, is trying to he encounter Jesus, and his life was just set for a new purpose and, and mission, and in that purpose and mission, he was trying to move the gospel forward with everything that he could. He was starting churches everywhere. He was proclaiming. He was getting you know, thrown into prison. All of these things happening in Paul's life. And Paul, um, he comes back in, in 1 Corinthians, and he's talking about all of the things that he's trying to do to make sure that the gospel goes forward with this great mission. And he's saying, I'm going to ultimately, I'm going to discipline my own body. I'm going to bring my own body into submission and make sure that all that I am helps accomplish this mission to move it forward. And Paul was serious about just this sacrifice that it took. You think about the sacrifice of Olympians. You don't get to the Olympics because you try. I mean, maybe one of those small countries that just has a bobsled, you know, one bobsled. I mean, they try and then they go and, you know, it's like we could get there. But you're not making it on the U.S. team because you try, right? It's because you train. It's because you train. That is what it looks like in our lives to become more like Jesus, is that we train. That's what in Mark, as Jesus was call, or in Luke, as Jesus was calling people, he's saying, hey, if you want to follow me, then guess what you're going to have to do? You're going to have to deny yourself and you're going to have to daily take up your cross to follow me. That's daily devotion. That's some significance. And sometimes we view that. I don't know how you view that. Sometimes I view that and I go, man, that's burdensome. That's heavy. That's restrictive. I I mean, I'm just not sure I can do that every single day, Jesus. I'm not sure that's my cup of tea. How do you view that? Spurgeon, is, he says it, he said this way, he said, when I hear someone say, and I love this, when I hear someone say that my religion consists of some things that I must do and in some things I must not do, I reply that mine consists in things that I love to do and avoid things that I hate or would scorn to do. And he closes out, he says, I feel no chains in my religion for I am free. We are free. Devotion is freedom. Us being more like Jesus is freedom. It's not burdensome. It's not restrictive. And so when we think of that, we, we, and we can't find fruit or freedom without devotion. There's no way for us to find the fruit that we need. You go back to the tree in, in, in Psalm chapter 1 where that tree is. You can't find it without devotion. What is he doing? He's, he's meditating on God's word day and night. You can't find the fruit or you can't find freedom, freedom from sin without devotion. So what is the warning here with devotion? Devotion is when devotion dies, it leads to bankruptcy. When devotion dies, it leads to bankruptcy. There's just simply nothing more to draw from. When devotion dies, there's there's nothing more to draw from. That's not the Christian life. That's not what Jesus promised. It's, it's, there's this idea, and I know we know this, because life withdraws constantly, doesn't it? It's consistently and constantly withdrawing from us. 
It's hitting us from all sides. There's things that happen. There's job loss. There's family loss. There's sickness. There's conflict. There's there are money problems. All of those things. It feels like we're always being withdrawn from. But can I tell you that devotion, us becoming more like Jesus, that devotion, that is, that's the deposit. That's the deposit every single day. That's what comes about and brings about this abundance that Jesus promised. We were made for more. C.S. Lewis, writer of Mere Christianity and just other great books, author, apologist, he said, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world I can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. We were made for more. You were made for more. We were made to delight in the one who takes delight in us. You were made to delight in God. I was made to delight in God. We are the crown jewel of his creation. He, de- he takes delight in us. When we look at the creation story and we see as God looked at upon his creation, he said it was very good. We were made for more. So as I close this morning, I just want us to think on these things, and I want to encourage you with this. Um, To bend towards God. To incline yourself towards God. To move yourself into a place where you find pleasure and satisfaction in him alone. There is nothing greater. There is nothing more. That our delight, the things that, the passions of our soul, the streamers from heaven, all of those things that come down, we were made for that. We were made to find delight in him. Can I just encourage you too, is don't try to cash in on the promise that he's going to give you the desires of your heart without investing in the directive, which is to delight in him. The life that Jesus promised is one of abundance. It's one of hope. It is, even in the darkest hours that we face, delight in God and watch what comes from it. Can I pray for us as we close? Father, thank you for delighting in us, your creation, in such a way that you sent Jesus to pull us out of our stuck place. That we can know the God that created us in an intimate way through Jesus alone. And so Father, this morning, I just pray that we would find a light in Jesus and what he did. God, that we would find a light in your faithfulness of all the things that you have done And God, that we would grow in our disgust, we grow in our dependence and grow in our devotion. We would be more like Jesus in all that we do. Father, may just in this moment, may you capture our hearts. May you just draw our attention directly to you In this moment, 
God, may we find delight in you. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.